Act Four of the Dream Play by August Strindberg, translated by Edwin Bjorkman, eighteen sixty-six to nineteen fifty-one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Four. Fingal's Cave long green waves are rolling slowly into the cave in the foreground a siren buoy is swaying to and fro in time with the waves but without sounding except at the indicated moment music of the winds music of the waves the daughter and the poet where are you leading me far away from the noise and lament of the man-children to the utmost end of the ocean to the cave that we name indra's ear because it is the place where the king of the heavens is said to listen to the complaints of the mortals. What, in this place? Do you see how this cave is built like a shell? Yes, you can see it. Do you know that your ear, too, is built in the form of a shell? You know it, but have not thought of it. She picks up a shell from the beach. Have you not as a child held such a shell to your ear and listened, and heard the ripple of your heart-blood, the humming of your thoughts in the brain, the snapping of a thousand little worn-out threads in the tissues of your body? all that you hear in this small shell imagine then what may be heard in this larger one the poet listening i hear nothing but the whispering of the wind then i shall interpret it for you listen the wail of the winds recites to subdued music born beneath the clouds of heaven driven we were by the lightnings of indra down to the sand-covered earth straw from the harvested fields soiled our feet dust from the high roads smoke from the cities foul-smelling breaths fumes from cellars and kitchens all we endured then to the open sea we fled filling our lungs with air shaking our wings and laving our feet indra lord of the heavens hear us hear our sighing unclean is the earth evil is life neither good nor bad can men be deemed as they can they live one day at a time sons of dust through dust they journey, born out of dust, to dust they return. Given they were for trudging, feet, not wings, for flying. Dusty they grow. Lies the fault then with them, or with thee? Thus I heard it once. Hush! The winds are still singing. Recites to subdued music. We winds that wander, we the air's offspring, bear with us men's lament. Heard us you have during gloom-filled fall nights, in chimneys and pipes, in keyholes and door-cracks, when the rain wept on the roof. Heard us you have in the snow-clad pine-woods, midst wintry gloom. Heard us you have, crooning and moaning, in ropes and rigging, on the high-heaving sea. It was we, the winds, offspring of the air, who learned how to grieve within human breasts, through which we passed, in sick-rooms, on battlefields, but mostly where the newborn whimpered and wailed at the pain of living we we the winds we are whining and whistling woe 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 it seems to me that i have already hush now the waves are singing recites to subdued music we we waves that are rocking the winds to rest green cradles we waves wet are we and salty leap like flames of fire wet flames are we burning extinguishing cleansing replenishing bearing engendering 
we we waves that are rocking the winds to rest false waves and faithless everything on earth that is not burned is drowned by the waves look at this pointing to pile of debris see what the sea has taken and spoiled nothing but the figureheads remain of the sunken ships and the names justice friendship golden peace hope that is all that is left of hope of fickle hope railings tholes bales and lo the life-buoy which saved itself and let distressed men perish the poet searching in the pile here is the name-board of the ship justice that was the one which left fairhaven with the blind man's son on board it is lost then and with it are gone the lover of alice the hopeless love of edith the blind man fairhaven i must have been dreaming of them and the lover of alice plain edith Fowlstrand in the quarantine sulphur and carbolic acid the graduation in the church the lawyer's office the passageway in victoria the growing castle and the officer all this i have been dreaming it was in one of my poems you know then what poetry is i know then what dreaming is but what is poetry not reality but more than reality not dreaming but daylight dreams and the man-children think that we poets are only playing that we invent and make-believe and fortunate it is my friend for otherwise the world would lie fallow for lack of ministration everybody would be stretched on his back staring into the sky nobody would be touching plough or spade hammer or plane and you say this indra's daughter you who belong in part up there you do right in reproaching me too long have i stayed down here taking mud-baths like you my thoughts have lost their power of flight there is clay on their wings mire on their feet and i myself raising her arms i sink i sink help me father lord of the heavens silence i can no longer hear his answer the ether no longer carries the sound from his lips to my ear's shell the silvery thread is snapped woe is me i am earth-bound do you mean to ascend soon as soon as i have consigned this mortal shape to the flames for even the waters of the ocean cannot cleanse me why do you question me thus because i have a prayer what kind of prayer a written supplication from humanity to the ruler of the universe formulated by a dreamer to be presented by whom by indra's daughter can you repeat what you have written i can speak it then better that you do it where can i read it in my mind or here hands her a roll of paper the daughter receives the roll but reads without looking at it well by me it shall be spoken then why must you be born in anguish why o oh man-child must you always wring your mother's heart with torture when you bring her joy maternal highest happiness yet known why to life must you awaken why to light give natal greeting with a cry of anger and of pain why not meet it smiling man-child when the gift of life is counted in itself a boon unmatched why like beasts should we be coming we of race divine and human better garment craves the spirit than one made of filth and blood need a god his teeth be changing silence rash one is it seemly for the work to blame its maker no one yet has solved life's riddle thus begins the human journey or a road of thorns and thistles 
If a beaten path be offered, it is named at once forbidden. If a flower you covet, straight away you are told it is another's. If a field should bar your progress, and you dare to break across it, you destroy your neighbor's harvest. Others than your own will trample, that the measure may be evened. Every moment of enjoyment brings to someone else a sorrow. But your sorrow gladdens no one, for from sorrow naught but sorrow springs. Thus you journey till you die, and your death brings others bread. Is it thus that you approach, son of dust, the one most high? Could the son of dust discover words so pure and bright and simple, that to heaven they might ascend? Child of gods, wilt thou interpret mankind's grievance in some language that immortals understand? I will. The poet pointing to the buoy. What is that floating there? A boy? Yes. It looks like a lung with a windpipe. It is the watchman of the seas. When danger is abroad, it sings. It seems to me as if the sea were rising, and the waves growing larger. Not unlikely. Whoa! What do I see? A ship bearing down upon the reef. What ship can that be? The ghost ship of the seas, I think. What ship is that? The Flying Dutchman. Oh, that one. Why is he punished so hard, and why does he not seek harbour? Because he had seven faithless wives. And for this he should be punished? Yes, all the right-minded condemned him. Strange world, this. How can he then be freed from his curse? Freed? Oh, they take good care that none is set free. Why? Because, no, it is not the Dutchman. It is an ordinary ship in distress. Why does not the boy cry out now? Look how the sea is rising, how high the waves are. Soon we shall be unable to get out of the cave. Now the ship's bell is ringing. Soon we shall have another figurehead. Cry out, boy. Do your duty, watchman. The buoy sounds a four-voice chord of fifths and sixths, reminding one of fog-horns. The crew is signalling to us, but we are doomed ourselves. Do you not wish to be set free? Yes, of course. Of course I wish it, but not just now, and not by water. The crew sings in quartet. Christ They are crying aloud, and so is the sea, but no one gives ear. Christ carry. Who is coming there? Walking on the waters. There is only one who does that, and it is not Peter, the rock, for he sank like a stone. A white light is seen shining over the water at some distance. Christ carry. Can this be he? It is he, the crucified. Why? Tell me, why was he crucified? Because he wanted to set free. Who was it? I have forgotten. That crucified him. All the right-minded. What a strange world. The sea is rising. Darkness is closing in upon us. The storm is growing. The crew set up a wild outcry. The crew scream with horror at the sight of their saviour. And now they are leaping overboard for fear of the Redeemer. The crew utter another cry. Now they are crying because they must die. 
crying when they are born and crying when they pass away. The rising waves threaten to engulf the two in the cave. If I could only be sure that it is a ship. Really, I don't think it is a ship. It is a two-storied house with trees in front of it, and a telephone tower, a tower that reaches up into the skies. It is the modern Tower of Babel, sending wires to the upper regions, to communicate with those above. Child, the human thought needs no wires to make a way for itself. The prayers of the pious penetrate the universe. It cannot be a Tower of Babel, for if you want to assail the heavens you must do so with prayer. No, it is no house no telephone tower don't you see what are you seeing i see an open space covered with snow a drill ground the winter sun is shining from behind a church on a hill and the tower is casting its long shadow on the snow now a troop of soldiers come marching across the grounds they march up along the tower up the spire now they have reached the cross but I have a feeling that the first one who steps on the gilded weathercock at the top must die. Now they are near it. A corporal is leading them. Ha <laughs> ha! There comes a cloud sweeping across the open space, and right in front of the sun, of course. Now everything is gone. The water in the cloud put out the sun's fire. The light of the sun created the shadow picture of the tower, but the shadow picture of the cloud swallowed the shadow picture of the tower. While the poet is still speaking, the stage is changed and shows once more the passageway outside the opera house. The daughter to the portress. Has the Lord Chancellor arrived yet? No. And the deans of the faculties? No. Call them at once, then, for the door is to be opened. Is it very pressing? Yes, it is, for there is the suspicion that the solution of the world riddle may be hidden behind it. Call the Lord Chancellor, and the deans of the four faculties also. The portress blows in a whistle. And do not forget the glazier and his diamond, for without them nothing can be done. Stage people enter from the left as in the earlier scene. The officer enters from the background in Prince Albert and high hat, with a bunch of roses in his hand, looking radiantly happy. Victoria! The young lady will be coming in a moment. Oh, good. The carriage is waiting, the table is set, the wine is on ice. Permit me to embrace you, madam. Embraces the portress. Victoria! A woman's voice from above sings. I am here. The officer begins walking to and fro. Good! I am waiting. It seems to me that all this has happened before. So it seems to me also. Perhaps I have dreamt it. Or put it in a poem, perhaps. Or put it in a poem. Then you know what poetry is. Then I know what dreaming is. It seems to me that we have said all this to each other before, in some other place. Then you may soon figure out what reality is. Or dreaming. Or poetry. Enter the Lord Chancellor and the deans of the theological, philosophical, medical, and legal faculties. It is about the opening of that door, of course. What does the dean of the theological faculty think of it? I do not think. I believe 
Credo. I hold. I knew. I doubt until I have evidence and witnesses. Now they are fighting again. Well, what does theology believe? I believe that this door must not be opened because it hides dangerous truths. Truth is never dangerous. What is truth? What can be proved by two witnesses? Anything can be proved by two false witnesses, thinks the pettifogger. Truth is wisdom, and wisdom, knowledge, is philosophy itself. Philosophy is the science of sciences, the knowledge of knowing, and all other sciences are its servants. Natural science is the only true science, and philosophy is no science at all. It is nothing but empty speculation. Good. Philosophy to theology. Good, you say? And what are you, then? You are the arch-enemy of all knowledge. You are the very antithesis of knowledge. You are ignorance and obscuration. Good. Theology to medicine. You cry good, you, who cannot see beyond the length of your own nose in the magnifying glass, who believes in nothing but your own unreliable senses, in your vision, for instance, which may be far-sighted, near-sighted, blind, purblind, cross-eyed, one-eyed, color-blind, red-blind, green-blind, idiot, ass, they fight, peace one crow does not peck out the other's eye if i had to choose between those two theology and medicine i should choose neither and if i had to sit in judgment on the three of you i should find all guilty you cannot agree on a single point and you never would let us get back to the case in court what is the opinion of the lord chancellor as to this door in its opening opinion i have no opinion whatever i am merely appointed by the government to see that you don't break each other's arms and legs in the council while you are educating the young opinion why i take mighty good care to avoid everything of the kind once i had one or two but they were refuted at once opinions are always refuted by their opponents of course but perhaps we might open the door now, even with the risk of finding some dangerous truths behind it. What is truth? What is truth? I am the truth and the light. I am the science of sciences. I am the only exact science. I doubt. They fight. Instructors of the young, take shame. Lord Chancellor, as a representative of the government, as head of the corps of instructors, you must prosecute this woman's offense. She has told all of you to take shame, which is an insult, and she has, in a sneering, ironical sense, called your instructors of the young, which is a slanderous speech. Poor youth! She pities the young, which is to accuse us. Lord Chancellor, you must prosecute the offense. Yes, I accuse you, you in a body of sowing doubt and discord in the minds of the young listen to her she herself is making the young question our authority and then she charges us with sowing doubt is it not a criminal act i asked all the right-minded yes. yes it is criminal it is criminal, it is criminal. It is criminal. all the right-minded have condemned you leaving peace with your lucre or else my lucre or else what else 
else you'll be stoned. Or crucified. I leave. Follow me, and you shall learn the riddle. Which riddle? What did he mean with my lucre? Probably nothing at all. That kind of thing we call talk. He was just talking. But it was what hurt me more than anything else. That is why he said it, I suppose. Men are that way. Hooray! Hooray! Hooray. The door is open. The door is open. The door is open. Door is open. What was behind the door? I can see nothing. He cannot see anything. Of course he cannot. Deans of the faculties, what was behind that door? Nothing. That is the solution of the world riddle. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth out of nothing. Out of nothing comes nothing. Yes, Bosch, which is nothing. I doubt. And this is a case of deception. I appeal to all the right-minded. The daughter to the poet. Who are the right-minded? Who can tell? Frequently all the right-minded consist of a single person. Today it is me and mine. Tomorrow it is you and yours. To that position you are appointed. Or rather, you appoint yourself to it. We have been deceived. Who has deceived you? The daughter. The daughter. The daughter. The daughter. The daughter. Will the daughter please tell us what she meant by having this door opened? No, friends. If I did, you would not believe me. Why, then, there is nothing there. You have said it, but you have not understood. It is Bosch what she says. Bosch! The daughter to the poet. They are to be pitied. Are you in earnest? Always in earnest. Do you think the right-minded are to be pitied also? They most of all, perhaps. And the four faculties, too. They also, and not the least. Four heads, four minds, and one body. Who made that monster? She has not answered. Stone her, then. I have answered. Here, she answers. Stone her, she answers. Whether she answer or do not answer, stone her. Come, prophet, and I shall tell you the riddle far away from here, out in the desert, where no one can hear us, no one see us, for— The lawyer enters and takes the daughter by the arm. Have you forgotten your duties? Oh, heavens, no, but I have higher duties. And your child? My child? What of it? Your child is crying for you. My child? Woe, I am earthbound, and this pain in my breast, this anguish, what is it? Don't you know? No. It is remorse. Is that remorse? Yes, and it follows every neglected duty, every pleasure, even the most innocent, if innocent pleasures exist, which seems doubtful, and every suffering inflicted upon one's fellow beings. And there is no remedy? Yes, but only one. It consists in doing your duty at once. You look like a demon when you speak that word duty. And when, as in my case, there are two duties to be met? Meet one first and then the other. The highest first. Therefore you look after my child and I shall do my duty. Your child suffers because it misses you. Can you bear to know that a human being is suffering for your sake? Now strife has entered my soul. 
it is rent in two and the halves are being pulled in opposite directions such you know are life's little discords oh how it is pulling if you could only know how i have spread sorrow and ruin around me by the exercise of my calling and note that i say calling which carries with it the highest duty of all then you would not even touch my hand what do you mean i had a father who put his whole hope on me as his only son destined to continue his enterprise i ran away from the business college my father grieved himself to death my mother wanted me to be religious and i could not do what she wanted and she disowned me i had a friend who assisted me through trying days of need and that friend acted as a tyrant against those on whose behalf i was speaking and writing and i had to strike down my friend and benefactor in order to save my soul since then i have had no peace men call me devoid of honour infamous and it does not help that my conscience says you have done right for in the next moment it is saying you have done wrong such is life come with me into the desert your child the daughter indicating all those present here are my children by themselves they are good but if they only come together then they quarrel and turn into demons farewell outside the castle the same scenery as in the first scene of the first act but now the ground in front of the castle wall is covered with flowers blue monkshood or aconite on the roof of the castle at the very top of its lantern there is a chrysanthemum bud ready to open the castle windows are illuminated with candles the daughter and the poet the hour is not distant when with the help of the flames i shall once more ascend to the ether it is what you call to die and what you approach in fear fear of the unknown which is known to you who knows it all why do you not believe your prophets prophets have always been disbelieved why is that so and if god has spoken why will men not believe then his convincing power ought to be irresistible have you always doubted no i have had certainty many times but after a while it passed away like a dream when you wake up it is not easy to be human you see and admit it i do listen was it not indra that once sent his son down here to receive the complaints of mankind thus it happened and how was he received how did he fill his mission to answer with another question and if i may reply with still another was not man's position bettered by his visit to the earth answer truly bettered yes a little a very little but instead of asking questions will you not tell the riddle yes but to what use you will not believe me in you i shall believe for i know who you are then i shall tell in the morning of the ages before the sun was shining brahma the divine primal force let himself be persuaded by maya the world mother to propagate himself this meeting of the divine primal matter with the earth matter was the fall of heaven into sin thus the world existence mankind are nothing but a phantom in appearance a dream image my dream a dream of truth but in order to free themselves from the earth matter the offspring of brahma seek privation and suffering there you have suffering as a liberator but this craving for suffering comes into conflict with the craving for enjoyment or love do you now understand what love is 
with its utmost joys merged into its utmost sufferings, with its mixture of what is most sweet and most bitter. Can you now grasp what woman is? Woman through whom sin and death found their way into life. I understand. And the end? You know it. Conflict between the pain of enjoyment and the pleasure of suffering, between the pangs of the penitent and the joys of the prodigal. A conflict it is, then. Conflict between opposites produces energy, as fire and water give the power of steam. But peace? Rest? Hush! You must ask no more, and I can no longer answer. The altar is already adorned for the sacrifice, the flowers are standing guard, the candles are lit, there are white sheets in the windows, spruce boughs have been spread in the gateway. And you say this as calmly as if for you suffering did not exist? You think so? I have suffered all your sufferings, but in a hundredfold degree, for my sensations were so much more acute. Relate your sorrow. Poet, could you tell yours so that not one word went too far? Could your word at any time approach your thought? No, you were right. To myself I appeared like one struck dumb. And when the mass listened admiringly to my song, I found it mere noise. For this reason, you see, I have always felt ashamed when they praised me. And then you ask me. Look me straight in the eye. I cannot bear your glance. How could you bear my word, then, were I to speak in your tongue? But tell me at least before you go. From what did you suffer most of all down here? From being. To feel my vision weakened by an eye, my hearing blunted by an ear, and my thought, my bright and buoyant thought, bound in labyrinthian coils of fat. You have seen a brain, but roundabout and sneaking paths. Well, that is because all the right-minded think crookedly. Malicious, always malicious, all of you. How could one possibly be otherwise? First of all, I now shake the dust from my feet, the dirt and the clay. Takes off her shoes and puts them into the fire. The portress puts her shawl into the fire. Perhaps I may burn my shawl at the same time. Goes out. The officer enters. And I my roses, of which only the thorns are left. Goes out. The bill-poster enters. My bills go, but never the dip-net. Goes out. The glazier enters. The diamond that opened the door. Goodbye. Goes out. The lawyer enters. The minutes of the great process concerning the Pope's beard were the water loss and the sources of the Ganges. Goes out. Master of Quarantine enters. A small contribution in shape of the black mask that made me a blackamoor against my will. Goes out. Victoria enters. My beauty, my sorrow. Goes out. Edith enters. My plainness, my sorrow. Goes out. The blind man enters, puts his hand into the fire. I give my hand for my eye. Goes out. Don Juan in his wheelchair, she and the friend. Hurry up, hurry up, life is short. Leaves with the other two. I have read that when the end of life draws near, everything and everybody rushes by in continuous review. Is this the end? 
Yes, it is my end. Farewell. Give us a parting word. No, I cannot. Do you believe that your words can express our thoughts? Dean of Theology enters in a rage. I am cast off by God and persecuted by man. I am deserted by the government and scorned by my colleagues. How am I to believe when nobody else believes? How am I to defend a God that does not defend his own? Bosh! That's what it is. Throws a book on the fire and goes out. The poet snatches the book out of the fire. Do you know what it is? A martyrology. A calendar with a martyr for each day of the year. Martyr? Yes. One that has been tortured and killed on account of his faith. Tell me why. Do you think that all who are tortured suffer, and that all who are killed feel pain? Suffering is said to be salvation, and death a liberation. Christine with slips of paper. I paste, I paste until there is nothing more to paste. And if heaven should split in twain, you would try to paste it together? Away. Are there no double windows in this castle? Not one, I tell you. Well, then I'll go. Goes out. The parting hour has come. The end draws near. And now farewell, thou dreaming child of man, thou singer, who alone knows how to live, when from thy winged flight above the earth at times thou sweepest downward to the dust. It is to touch it only, not to stay. And as I go, how in the parting hour, as one must leave for e'er a friend, a place, the heart with longing swells for what one loves, and with regret for all wherein one failed. Oh, now the pangs of life and all their force I feel, I know at last the lot of man. Regretfully one views what once was scorned, for sins one never sinned remorse is felt. To stay one craves, but equally to leave, as if to horses tied that pull apart, one's heart is split in twain, one's feelings rent, by indecision, contrast, and discord. Farewell. To all thy fellow men make known that where I go I shall forget them not, and in thy name their grievance shall be placed before the throne. Farewell. She goes into the castle. Music is heard. The background is lit up by the burning castle and reveals a wall of human faces, questioning, grieving, despairing. As the castle breaks into flames, the bud on the roof opens into a gigantic chrysanthemum flower. Curtain End of The Dream Play by August Strindberg Translated by Edwin Bjorkman, 1866-1951